Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is entitled So Far, So Near, and is a guest essay by David Bushart. W. David Bushart serves as Associate Dean and Professor of Theology at Denver Seminary in Colorado, and as a theological consultant to churches and to organizations. His forthcoming book is entitled Exploring Protestant Traditions, An Invitation to Theological Hospitality by InterVarsity Press. Dr. Bushart's essay this week is based upon the readings for Sunday, June 11, 2006, which in the lectionary cycle is Trinity Sunday. As I write, my family and I are enjoying a visit from a dear friend who has served the international Christian mission community for several decades. Jill has traveled in 40 countries providing in-person, spiritual, psychological, and relational care. Earlier this week, she told us a remarkable story. There's a church in Toronto that has a wonderful ministry to immigrants from a Middle Eastern nation that is predominantly Muslim. Recently, a woman who regularly attends began to take out her cell phone during Sunday morning worship services. A number of people found this quite distracting, and after some deliberation, the pastor decided that he needed to ask her not to use her cell phone during services. Upon meeting with her, she assured the pastor that she was not talking on her cell phone. Rather, she was holding the phone in such a way that her husband who for work-related reasons had moved back to their home country, could listen to the service, particularly the sermon, over the cell phone. He was a Muslim who was very interested in the new religious experience his wife was having, and he was excited to share in some of her experience, even though he was halfway around the planet. She told the pastor that sharing the church services via cell phone helped them to feel a sense of closeness despite their geographic separation. By the way, the pastor gladly invited her to continue to use her cell phone during the worship service. This is but one way in which technology can bring someone close to us who is otherwise so very far away. In ways that transcend technology and to a degree not possible for mere mortals, the triune God is both far and near, and we can praise and thank him that he is both. Theologians describe this as the transcendence and imminence of God, and in the arcane language of the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they insist that while we can never know God in his ultimate essence, we can know God through his energies. The lectionary scriptures for this Trinity Sunday speak to both of these aspects of God. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, writes the prophet Isaiah, high and exalted, Isaiah 6.1. This Lord dwells in a seraph-filled realm that's far removed from the pedestrian realm that you and I occupy. And, unlike we who are people of unclean lips, Isaiah 6, 5, Yahweh is holy, holy, holy. 
Yet, God made it possible for Isaiah to see the Lord seated on, seated on the throne. And despite the moral distance that separated Isaiah and his people from the Lord Almighty, through divine intervention, Isaiah, a man ruined and of unclean lips, was transformed into a person who was both willing and able to be the voice of the Lord. In the psalm for this week, we, we read, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. The Lord thunders. He is powerful and majestic, writes the psalmist. He strikes with flashes of lightning, shakes the desert, and twists the oaks. In response, we can once again listen to Isaiah, who inquires on God's behalf, With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Isaiah 46, verse 5. Yet, rather than crying out in terror, as might seem reasonable, the Lord's people proclaim glory. Psalm 29, verse 9. For they know that this is a God who also gives strength to his people, who blesses his people with peace. Though they may not see God literally or directly, they see his work and they see him with the eyes of faith. Turning to the gospel for this week, when the Son of God comes from God, John 3, 2, he confronts respectful listeners with the fact that they do not believe what he says about earthly things. What makes them think that they will grasp or believe when he points them towards the realities of his realm, heavenly things? John 3, verses 12 to 13. As John would later write, this Son is from above, while those to whom he came are from below, John 8:23. In order to be genuinely near the Lord Almighty, Isaiah's lips needed the touch of a live coal. In order for anyone to even see the kingdom of God, says Jesus, they must be born again, John 3.3. 3. Yet, because of God's love, precisely this new birth is possible. The Lord of heaven, we read, came from heaven, became one of us, and gave himself for us, those in need of nothing less than rebirth. The God of highest heaven could not have come any closer. And yet there's more. Our sinful nature, Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 12, persists. And as a result, God is so far away, unless there's a change in my life, Paul writes, you will die, Romans 8.13. The people of unclean lips, the people from below, the people whose lives are marked by misdeeds of the body, Romans 8.13, are in need of nothing less than a touch, not just from a live coal, but a touch from God himself. 
Having once shattered through the incarnation and atonement in Christ, the distance between God and human beings, God comes to us again. We read from Paul in Romans 8, 13, and 14, For if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So, we are moved from the position of slave to the position of child. Romans 8, 15. We can call the Lord God Almighty Father, and God the Spirit will directly confirm for us that the Lord is indeed our Father. It would be a mistake on Trinity Sunday, or any other day, to ascribe God's distance from us and nearness to us to the various persons of the Godhead. It would be a mistake, for example, to identify God the Father alone with the high and lofty God of Isaiah, or to identify the Holy Spirit alone with the God who is near. Rather, we can and ought to worship and rest in the fact that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is so far and yet so near, transcendent and yet imminent. God the Father is enthroned in heaven, and yet he is our Abba, a loving Father. Jesus is from above, wrote John, and yet he is the one with whom we are co-heirs, Romans 8.17. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God, and yet he dwells in and with us who are unholy people. And now for further reflection, when have you experienced God as especially remote or especially near? And can you discern why? How do we hold together God so far and God so near without losing either aspect? Third, what are the consequences of stressing only the transcendence or only the imminence of God. And finally, what are the implications of the Holy Trinity for human community? So Far, So Near by Professor W. David Bushart of Denver Seminary. My book review this week is by a book called Teacher Man, a memoir by Frank McCourt, New York, Scribner, 2005, 258 pages. In 1996, at the age of 66, Frank McCourt published his first book called Angela's Ashes, which told the story of his hard scrabble and deeply Catholic childhood in Ireland. He wrote the book for his family, he said, and hoped that it might sell a few hundred copies. Instead, he recounts, it jumped onto the bestseller list and was translated into 30 languages. In fact, Angela's Ashes won the Pulitzer Prize. Not bad for a man who taught high school English in New York City for 30 years. Frank McCourt followed with a sequel in 1999 called Tiz 
which picked up his story in the year 1949 when his family returned to the United States after having moved back to Ireland when he was four years old. Now 75 years old, McCourt completes his trilogy with Teacher Man, a memoir about his 30 years as a public school teacher that began in 1958. You almost believe him when McCourt insists that there was, quote, nothing remarkable, end quote, about his 30-year stint in five different public schools in New York City. His first job was at McKee Vocational and Technical School, while virtually every kid was destined to work as a beautician, a mechanic, a dock worker, or the like. His last job found him at Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan, where parents expected their kids to attend Ivy League schools. Between these extremes, it was McCourt's genius that nothing human, nothing at all, was ever alien to him. He did not romanticize the poor, nor pander to the rich. He insists that he received far more than he gave. McCourt is unsparing in his narrative of his rise from the rock bottom of the social hierarchy. At one point, he describes himself as a quote-unquote, failed everything. Even late in his teaching career, after his marriage collapsed and he failed in, two, in his two years at a Ph.D. at Trinity College in Dublin, he lived in a small apartment above a bar. But he was dogged. Five classes every day, five days a week. Hormonal teenagers from across the ethnic rainbow, anxious parents, petty administrators, mindless bureaucrats. His description of taking his ninth grade class of 29 black girls and two Puerto Rican boys on a field trip to Times Square is worth the price of the book alone. He was also creative. He had his students read recipes from cookbooks and set their lyrics, as it were, to music. When he recognized passion and creativity in all the forged permission slips that he accumulated, he had his kids write what he called excuse notes from Adam and Eve to God. So, we're not surprised that McCourt won Teacher of the Year at Stuyvesant. With a Pulitzer for his first book, readers have come to expect McCourt's masterful storytelling, poignant memories, human pathos, self-effacing humor, and irreverent opinions grace these pages of a wonderfully ordinary and extremely gifted teacher man. Frank Court, Teacher Man, a memoir, New York, Scribner, 2005, 258 pages. For film this week, I review The White Diamond from the year 2004. Any documentary film by director Werner Herzog the same person who made Grizzly Man, is never as simple as its plot and subject first suggest. In 2004, Herzog joined the chaotic British aeronautical engineer Graham Dorrington, who traveled to remote Guyana in South America in order to fly his two-seater contraption over the rainforests, ostensibly for scientific research. But filming that quest is really a sideshow to Herzog's broader interests. He pokes and prods at the eccentric Dorrington, 
especially the guilt he tries to assuage over a fatal accident that killed his friend Dieter Plaga in Sumatra in 1993. He trains his camera on the spectacular scenery, especially the thousands of swifts who nest there. In one phenomenal close-up of a single tiny raindrop, he captures the reflection of the thundering Kaitur Falls in the distance. Like an anthropologist, he explores the lives of the barefoot Guyanan locals who slop through the mud to help Dorrington. Like Mark Anthony, who loves his pet rooster and epitomizes Rastafarian harmony. In other scenes, we see the appalling environmental degradation of the diamond mines. A teenage boy beside the, the waterfalls moonwalking to the reggae from his boombox and Dorrington's teardrop dirigible meandering over the rivers and forests. Herzog demonstrates how even the simplest plot lends itself to very rich human explorations. The White Diamond by director Werner Herzog from the year 2004. And finally, for poetry, we've posted a poem entitled Dreams by Langston Hughes, 1902-1967. Langston Hughes was an African-American poet, novelist, playwright, and newspaper columnist. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is barren, frozen with snow. Dreams by Langston Hughes Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June 11th, 2006, Trinity Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.